Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brent. And this episode, turn on your mind power and your PMA. Come join the happening as we reignite with SST160, the Bad Brains Live LP. As I said last episode, we love the Bad Brains. They can do no wrong for us. And uh, we've got a special guest. Yeah, Daryl Jennifer's on the show. Yeah, so cool. You know, I went back and listened to just the intro spiels and history lesson part one when we last did the bad brains it was the eye against eye release i did too (laughs) and and i never listened ever to our show and i listened to that one just to see where we what points we needed to hit on this one yeah and where we left off too right what did we cover what do we got to hit here but uh one thing that i i went uber geek on during the interview is like our last episode eye against eye even in that episode, I was talking about Daryl Jennifer's bass, and and you do a bit of a, a you do a bass spiel with Daryl on the interview. Love that, yeah. love that. So we're, we're we're just we're always so lucky to have someone like Daryl on the show to help us do the deep dive, mm-hmm. and uh, especially Daryl who's so cool and generous with their time. So can't wait to get into that. Yeah. Before we do some bad brains, Brent, why don't you hit me with some spiels? Okay, uh, I just I wanted to mention something, Ryan. So a few weeks ago in our top 10 of 2020 episode, we both picked uh, the new XLP Alphabet Land as one of our faves. And I had mentioned uh, that I know people take exception to Billy Zoom and Exine's political beliefs, but that I didn't care, I guess is what I said, something along those lines about, about that. What I meant by that is I don't care if they're MAGA, uh, which was the general criticism of them that I was aware of. That's not at all to say that I'm a Trump supporter either. I'm thrilled that he's no longer the U.S. president. But we're not a political show, Ryan. And also, being Canadian, I really try not to comment on U.S. politics. Some people just really don't appreciate that. So we just try and stay away from that. What I was not aware of, though, Ryan, was that Exine has made some pretty gross and hateful statements about the Sandy Hook shootings being a you know a false flag attack or whatever bullshit conspiracy she subscribes to which obviously i find appalling and do not support or agree with in any way so i want to make that clear you know we live in interesting times where artists ethics are being scrutinized to a higher degree which i'm generally okay with Uh, i believe we all get to make choices about what we're okay with for example I will not be purchasing the new Ryan Adams LP. I'm just, I'm done, I think, for now, at least, with Ryan Adams. That could change if, I I believe in redemption also, to a degree. Uh, yeah, I'm same with you on that. I'm not buying it. Yeah. Uh, a band that I've championed before on the podcast before, Teo Cross. If people don't know uh, what the controversy is with that band, you can Google it. I'm not going to go into it. Uh, but again, for me, their legacy is tainted. I have no interest in that band ever. So had I known about Exine's unfortunate beliefs about Sandy Hook, I for sure would have chosen not to mention the band and just picked one of the other amazing albums from 2020 for my top 10 because there were so many good ones. Certainly did not uh, intend to hurt anyone. So, you know, I want to apologize if we if we did. Yeah, same here. You know, we get a lot of feedback some positive, some not so positive. And people should know that Brant really deals with all of it because Brant's the man. 
Uh, but we take all of the constructive feedback that we get seriously, I would say. Other than a correction here here or there, though, uh, I think this is the first one where we felt compelled to address it because neither of us were aware. It's a major letdown for me, for sure. It just makes me think about all the people that were hurt. Um, it makes me uh, think about people who say shit like that. I hope they get educated and stop and apologize themselves. A lot of times they've uh, they've got some issues and I want I want them to get some peace, you know? Mm -hmm. Something is something may be going on. Uh, but they definitely need to get educated and stop and it just makes me want to do better myself, really at the end of the day. Ryan, I just have to make one tiny correction though to what you just said. It is not the only controversy we've had to address on this show. You're forgetting about the my war puppet Puppet gate. <laughs> you should tell people about that. You still get tweet like you still get in a Twitter feud with people every week, don't you? On that, there's no Twitter feuds. I'm moving on from Puppet Gate. Oh, dude, I love Puppet Gate. <laughs> yeah. So Ryan, our spiel's this week to flip it to a positive are going to be some of the, about some of the, and this is just strictly coincidental. We were going to do this anyways, but it's about some of the super positive interactions we've had with some of our listeners, specifically the people who have sent us records, right? This is like the Mojack mailbag, right? We could call it that. I was calling it records from the people. Well, we'll see who wins the day. Okay. I'm so glad that we're doing what's on base instead of what's up. <laughs> All right. Ryan, podcast pal David Martin, who has been around the music business at many levels for many years. I know he worked for Get Hip for a while. Uh, he now works for the great Brooklyn, New York label Captured Tracks. He sent us some amazing stories via email and some great records in the actual mail. It started out when he... We first, way back, talked about the band Earth Dies Burning. He sent right. us the Songs from the Valley of the Bored Teenager, 81 to 84, which came out in 2013 on Captured Tracks. That's Brad Lehner, uh, who was in Earth Died Burning, as well as dozens of other bands, most notably the band Medicine, who, side note, have SS Tree connections. Annette Zelinskis was in an early version of Medicine from Blood on the Saddle. Brad also played drums in Savage Savage Republic. Earth Dies Burning is, of course, the band Matt Carlson was in, who we know as the Zoog's Rift, uh, Zoog's Wrist dude from the torture sequence <laughs> and other great Zoog songs. Anyways, David sent us that, and it's great. Uh, but then you mentioned Carl Hendricks on an episode, and he hit us up. Uh, he and Carl were friends, and he hipped us to a a bit of his history with Carl and Mind Cure Records, which uh, David actually ran for a while. I think we mentioned this in a previous episode about Mind Cure Records. Yep. You bet. So he sent us some stuff on the Mind Cure lab label that he put out when he, he ran it, a band called, what is it, Suffolk Yeah, man. That's the John Trelesky band. Yeah. Uh, who's John Trelesky? He's just a dude, man. He was in Suffolk He was also in Crush Nova, which... Dave sent us. Right, yeah, they were cool. Uh, and then a Carl Hendricks single. And and some yeah. cool captured track singles too. The Shifters, a cool Aussie band that 
I was completely unaware of. Some kind of cool post-punk. They have a full length on Trouble in Mind from 2018 that I, I need to track down. Did you know of The Shifters? I, I did not. I, it's cool, though. How about Mouth Congress? That was a mind blower. Yeah, so Mouth Congress is an archival release of recordings uh, by a band called Mouth Con- Congress, which had Paul Bellini, a writer for Kids in the Hall, as well as Scott Thompson, who was, of course, in the troupe. And the timing was perfect when we got this package because I was actually reading the great book about the Kids in the Hall at the time that came out last year. Yeah, they're a national treasure up here in Canada. Paul Bellini, sure. too, and his towel. Yeah, and his towel, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a band camp where you can hear hear that, and a live reunion show from the Rivoli in 2016. Uh, and apparently there's a documentary in the works as well about Mouth Congress. No way. Uh, the Ben Shatterer single, What Have I Done?, uh, which is on the tree. Andrew Weiss of Gone plays on it, as well as Dean Ween. Uh, some full lengths by the Capital Punishment Band that we talked about some time back, which was the art punk band Ben Stiller was in. Yeah, the the original full length and then the the reunion 12-inch, I think, right? Yeah. Did you get a chance, Ryan, to check out some of these other bands like Drala? How do you say it? Drala and Wax Chattels. I knew about both of them before, and I should have actually included that Wax Chattels record clot in my honorable mentions from last year and it was on tons of people's year-end lists as to their sophomore album awesome. yeah it was that was the surprise of the package for me wax chattels yeah, yeah it's great Drala's great too cool post-punk post-rock love the bass tone uh great vocals by lucille brown cool sax on it too that's a great record that i, I don't think got much much attention Drala, useless coordinates yeah Thanks to David for all the great correspondence and for introducing us to these bands. Yeah. Have you checked out that Capture Tracks comp, the Strum and Thrum comp that came out? Yeah, that looks cool. It sold out immediately, but there's a uh, a repress uh, pre-order out there, and I I got in on the repress. It'll, I'm sure it'll arrive mid-2021 at the way things are going, but uh, I can't wait to check that out. What is it? Uh, It's kind of like... I don't know, obscure, jangly college rock Hmm. stuff. I I mean, I don't know it super well. I just basically saw it. I read the thing and I'm like, I want that. It goes on my want list. Hmm. Yeah, in. Next time I see it, I'm going to buy it. So I saw it. I pre-ordered it. And uh, I kind of want to, you know, a lot of times I want to just wait to get the package in the mail and really understand what it is when I'm opening it up and listening to it for the first time almost. Yeah. So Ryan, Steve Tulipana, I hope I'm saying that right, from the band Season to Risk, uh, who we've talked about on the show, sent us a super amazing package. Yeah, man. I got a little spiel from Steve. He says, Season to Risk never really broke up. We just got busy and some members moved away from Kansas City. So they had been playing a show or two every few years and they got invited to play South by Southwest. A few years ago and on the drive to play the festival they discussed releasing some of their albums on vinyl which had never gotten a vinyl release so we've got men are monkeys robots win originally on thick records out of chicago in 97 yes yes yeah originally cd only 
and apparently the original sequencing of the of the CD was wrong due to a mix up at the mastering stu- studio. So this release is like as the band intended. And then a little connection to the tree. The Shattering is a record originally released on owned and operated records in 2001, which was, of course, the label run by Bill Stevenson and All, plus Joe Young and Joe Carducci. It's now out on vinyl. Yes. Yeah. Each is limited to 300, and they vowed to not to repress. So get yours while you can. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, the next release, Ryan, will be a comp with unreleased songs... And then they're doing the albums that preceded these two. Yeah, I'm actually a seasoned to risk completist. I've got as many singles as I've ever been able to find, as well as their self-titled from 93 and In a Perfect World from 95. Um, I've been trying to get that two CD collection on Thick Records, but I just can't find it at a good price up here in Kanukistan. Hmm. But uh, maybe that one that they're going to release will have those same uh, tracks that I don't have yet. Yeah. Uh, there's a Bandcamp page where you can hear and order all of this stuff, uh, plus a website, too, where you can read more info about these records, robotswin.com. Yeah. Did you check out that Roman Numerals in that package, too? That was killer. Yeah, Roman Numerals is another Kansas City band. Uh, it's Steve and Billy from Season, Billy Smith from Season to Risk, plus Sean Sherrill from Shiner, a band I know you're a fan yes. of, Ryan. Yes. That's really good. Kind of cool, keyboard-heavy post-punk. Yeah, and some dub sounds, too. Great bass and keys. I had no idea about that record, and I'm all in. I've been listening to it a lot. Yeah, what about this Dan Jones stuff? It's it's cool. Some of it reminded me of... It kind of sounded like super chunk vocal like sounding vocals with Westerberg-esque lyrics so it's totally in my wheelhouse um but so Steve it from Season to Risk plays with Dan Jones in The Squids that record we live in a world that's out of this world yeah um, but I think Dan Jones sent that one to us right yeah he did uh, along with the same package uh, his Bandcamp page has a bunch of this stuff up on it too and there's a review on there from the big takeover magazine which compares it to watt and the urinals and a hundred flowers hmm. and dan's also in another disc that they sent the golden motors yeah and he has a song about that names nikki sudden in the chorus so i was all over that yeah that one gave me a more of a super chunk vibe than the squids record yeah i was thinking more early Lemonheads or something when i heard that almost yeah. yeah it's good though yep but but definitely the one that stuck out to me was the roman numerals i can't help it that's the one yeah uh mike Stubbs from seattle hit us up uh when we were talking about carp and and or the whip i can't remember probably the whip he let us know about a band that drummer scott jernigan was in called the bronze scott unfortunately passed away in a boating accident in 2003 shortly after this record by the bronze came out it's pretty cool Sabbathy rock, like in the Fu Manchu vein. It's good. Yeah, it is good. It's good. I think Mike, in his note, he kind of said it's a little, it's a little rock, rock, but it's, it's pretty good. I mean, it's got a good degree of sweet heaviness to it. I would say. Yeah. Also, in his note, a bit of a throwback to last week's episode. He, he uh, mentions that he and Scott got to know each other 
uh, when they shared a practice space in Olympia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mike also sent along a few of the albums he's played on. Both are, are uh, on the Cool Seattle label Good to Die Records, which I know we've talked about before on the show. Yeah, he played drums in the band The Absolute Monarchs, which is also up on Spotify, by the way, if people want to hear it. Pretty awesome, catchy post-punk. Uh, I think they just have the one album. It's called One. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it is good. I called it like uh, noisy, jangly, fuzzy, post-screamy thump rock. Yeah. Like uh, I, I like that record. Uh, there's some demos up on their Bandcamp page, too, of that band. Uh, and then he played guitar in a band called Dead Kill. Uh, and he sent along their only full-length 2014's No Never. And it's pretty killer hardcore. It's hardcore, yep. So, yeah, thanks to Mike for the amazing package. And then finally, Ryan, Jeremy Seidner, if I'm saying that right, from Lawrence, Kansas, sent us some killer stuff. Jeremy was in a bunch of great bands. Uh, he sent us this Zoom LP, which he played uh, bass and sang vocals on, called Helium Octopede. Yes. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I'm a Zoom completist too, just like Season to Risk. I've got their self-titled from 93 um, but Jeremy also sent their single, yeah, uh, which is cool too. Yeah, interesting story. Jeremy says, uh, we recorded this in 93 with Greg Sage after he discovered us, in quotes, at the Sun Club in Phoenix on one of our early tours. This record was lost in time in the mess that was Tim Kerr Records. As it sat on the shelf for a year or so uh, with the Wiper Silver sale while the label negotiated major label deals with roster acts Everclear and the Dandy Warhols. Sadly, it was released with a whimper and a flexi-disc sampler in Flipside featuring Wipers and Zoom on one side and Everclear and another great forgotten band Sugar Boom on the flip. It was re-released in 2018 in time for Lawrence, Kansas label Lotus Pool Records' 25th anniversary party, which featured a reunited poster children and panel donor. Members of Zoom went on to play in bands or with artists such as Panel Donor, Dis, Ryan? Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned Panel Donor a few, up, well, maybe like 10 episodes ago, and I'm like, gosh, I should know this. Why don't I know this? And then I, I uh, started checking them out and I actually have their split single with Dis. Hmm. Uh, the, to- the band Tom Watson was in. Is it Hertz Roundtable? Is that how you say it? HZ Roundtable? Table. The Bells with Chris Connolly, Grant Hart, Danny Pound, uh, Major Games, which we'll get to in a second, Voice of Action, National Trust, Hamish Kilgore, and he says, The Project Matador Records presents Just Far a Laugh with Jensen and Earls, which is Andrew Earls, who wrote the Gimme Indie Rock book. Sweet. I need a second edition, second, like, part two. I need... Give me 500 more, Andrew. Come on. Yeah, and put Zoom in there. This Zoom record <laughs> is like great mathy rock. You can check it out on the Lotus Pool Bandcamp. Uh, he also sent along, like you said, a great single from 92. The two panel donor albums, not panel door, as I believe I may have called them. Uh, Jeremy played in this band also. He sent, sent along their Lotus Pool album. Lobedom and Global from 96 and their Surprise Bath album which came out in 97 on Sonic Bubblegum and also tie into 
last couple episodes was engineered by Greg Freeman of Pell-Mell. Yeah. I've since uh, also obtained panel donors self-titled disc from 94, which is also awesome. And uh, you mentioned major games, which uh, Jeremy sent along too. That was a surprise. I didn't know about that. I loved it. I've got to track down. They've got an EP as well that I got to track down. It looks like it was only came out on cassette and CDR. So that might take a while. Yeah. Yeah. He also sent along some zoom and panel donor press kits, uh, a really cool panel donor silkscreen tour poster, all in a perfectly sized vinyl bag from the bar he runs in Lawrence called eight street tap room. So I hope his business is making out okay in these COVID times and Thanks to Jeremy and everyone else who sent us all the tunes. We really appreciate it. Yeah, love it. Brian, I got to hit you with one quick spiel before we go to the Bad Brains, okay? Still trying to clear the spiel log? Oh, I've got a massive spiel log. So, um, this is speaking of Canadian national treasures, my spiel here before we go to the Bad Brains, it's a Nard spiel. Do you know what I'm getting at? A Nard spiel? Nardwar? Nardwar, the human serviette. One of Canada's national treasures, just like, you know, Rush, Stomp and Tom, the kids in the hall, Weird Al Yankovic, Nardwar, the human serviette. Um, he's a he's a guy in Vancouver, known mostly for his gonzo TV interview style with musicians and politicians. He He's best known for kind of blowing people's minds with stuff right. like uh, records and toys and, and whatnot. Um, and he, he probably is most well known for his interviews with R&B or hip-hop stars like Snoop Dogg and Questlove. Um, so usually it's Nardwar blowing their minds. And he's also done a lot of, like, interviews with punk legends, you know, like Henry, Ian. Uh, he even did one with Greg Ginn. So he's done a lot. Uh, Ron Reyes. So check out some Nard I- interviews. You can find them all on YouTube. But the one that... Oh, and he was also in a few bands, right? Like the Evaporators. The Goblins and yep. the Scoblins, I think, too, right? All those? Yep. Yep. So um, in addition in addition to all of those ones I mentioned, Nard, Nardwar recently put out a three-part episode with Jello Biafra. And mm-hmm. if you haven't seen that, you have got to check that out. Because in this interview, not only does he talk about the new Guantanamo School of Medicine record, but usually it's Nardwar blowing people's minds, right? In the in this three part, so we're talking like three hours of Nardwar and Joe, so you know it's going to be like stimulating. Put it that way, <laughs> but but really it's different this time because Jello is showing off really rare and obscure private press or homemade records to Nardwar, mm-hmm. and Nardwar over and over is going, where did you get that? You know, like his mind is just blown. So the, t- the tables are turned for sure. It's awesome. Um, they also discuss that documentary that Jello's in on industrial musicals, Bathtubs Over Broadway. They, uh, they also talk about that excellent book, Enjoy the Experience About Homemade Records by uh, Greg Turkington. That's a great book. Um, I actually got into that by checking out those uh, worst album cover books by Nick DeFonzo. Um, I love those are good coffee table books, but like, that's a great three hours with Nard and Jello. It'll blow your mind. It'll make you laugh. You'll love it. But recently Nard also 
um, posted one of his best videos of all time for my money, where he just tears this dude from Insane Clown Posse, a new one. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so the, the controversy is like when, when Nardwar does an interview, he shows people stuff. Um, some of it he gives to them, some of it he's just showing it to have a conversation about it. This insane clown posse guy said something somewhere else that Nardwar always takes back the gifts. So Nardwar, in true Nardwar's fashion, he posted a 40-minute video full of in-depth details and evidence about how that's wrong. And the, the guy's name is uh, Violent J from Insane Clown Posse. And Nardwar, for 40 solid minutes, just tears violent j a new one and uh and and it's and it's hilarious it's just hilarious um and so you should check out all of that um if you got some time to kill anyways sounds awesome yeah i i definitely can use a laugh more and more these days and all three of those jello videos and the one about insane clown posse is killer actually and just one quick micro spiel we just got a note uh, on the SS tree, the Petrified Max mm-hmm. released a new record called Year Gone By. People should go and check that out. They also released a digital single, Lucky Couple and Thimble of Sun. Lucky Couple is on the record Year Gone By. You can order that disc, go and do it, Bandcamp. Their record last year was great. This one's great too. Petrified Max, first SS tree LP of the year, if I'm not mistaken. So very mm-hmm. cool. You know the thing about Nardwar that people need to know... Because, uh, you know, I've booked the evaporators many times, and I know Mar- Nardwar. I've spent time with him a little bit. And he, what you see on the screen is the real Nardwar. It's not an act. <laughs> That's totally. how he is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but like, he is a lifetime music nerd, journalist, oh. punk rocker, show promoter, record releaser, and deeply nice. Right. Whenever I've spent any amount of time with Nardwar, yes, he's very nice. And we'll talk to anybody who wants to come up and talk to him, as everybody does, obviously. But oh, yeah. he is super inquisitive. Like it when when I'm talking to him, it's like he's interviewing me. Yeah. He wants to know the history <laughs> you know the you know the club that uh that that I book at that you and I have been going to for years and played at and stuff has a long, long, deep history and he wants to know every minute detail like just throwing out bands at me did this band ever play here did this band ever play here (laughs) (laughs) yeah so set set aside four hours and watch those four videos you thank me for it (laughs) right on okay man pma time yep history lesson part one so Everyone should go back and listen to our episode SST 65 for Eye Against Eye. We go into a lot of depth in terms of all of the sources of Bad Brains history. Uh, we go through, you know, pretty quick, the basically the entire history of Bad Brains to get us up to speed because, of, of course, there was a long history before Eye Against Eye. You know what, though, Ryan, like I was thinking when I listened to that, because I never listened back, like I said, ever to any of our shows. Yeah. Like by episode 65, like maybe I was expecting a bit more, but I feel like we were greener than goose shit still. What? Yeah. Not on bad brains, but (laughs) 
<laughs> we were saying some questionable shit, maybe. No way. Well, I still feel pretty green right now, right? Got to yeah. stay humble. Yeah. Stay humble, my friend. But people should go back and check that out because we do go through at a very high level a lot of info about you know all the books documentaries that you can get into on the bad brains all of their records we talk a bit about hrs uh, solo releases and where we are right now for this live album is this is after i against i and the band is on tour mm-hmm. that that's where we're at and so you know there's a there's a few sections in uh, the greg prado book for example, punk, hardcore, reggae, PMA, Bad Brains, um, and the Finding Joseph I book by uh, Howie Abrams and James Lathos. Those books have got some good segments on this era of Bad Brains, but it, again, it's like not a ton of detail, um, and that's why it's great to talk with with Daryl in a moment here. If you want to get a good snapshot, though, of what the band was like at this time, there is a 30-minute pro shot show that you can see on youtube it was shot in west palm beach florida march 20 1987 for nctv that's national college television and it's insane like they are this is the outdoor show yeah 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 it's awesome it's my favorite bad brains footage yeah it's insane and that's this tour right that's this record that we're going to listen to here and it's um they're just on fire. Like it comes across on the record too. This record actually doesn't get a ton of love when you read up on it in uh, Trouser Press or other books. Youth are getting restless. Their other live album seems to get a lot more love for some reason. Um, no one ever mentions the Soul Brains live one, but um, this I actually think that this is a really great live record. It sounds great. It doesn't. It's recorded over a number of different shows. It doesn't sound like it at all. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really good. You go through it a bit in the interview, though, but like really what happened is um, the band was on another, you know, hiatus, essentially. But then they got back together playing a show in New York, essentially wrote the Eye Against Eye record. And then they went on on tour. And not long after they were on tour, they went on another hiatus, unfortunately. But that's the Bad Brains. And um it's a it's a great record and it's also you know the final tour basically before the band starts getting shaken up with different members now and then mm-hmm. yeah so and and just to see like how insanely tight and solid of a band like they definitely had like a seriously intense connection to be able to play this stuff so in solid and just on point live just killer Mm -hmm. yeah for sure well by this point they'd been playing together for 10 years yeah essentially right if you count when they started out as um you know as a bit of a prog jazz rock jazz fusion band yep and you know the first five of those years they were very young so you know what it's like when you're in a band and you're super young and it is the only thing on earth that you care about (laughs) Oh, yeah. All of your creativity and imagination is going 24-7 on that one thing. And maybe, you know, members of the opposite sex, but that's maybe. it. Yeah. Nothing else. <laughs> well, the two kind of go hand in hand, right? 
True that. Yeah. yeah. So that's, I mean, I don't have a ton about this release until we get into history lesson two and go through the tracks. Let's kick it to Daryl. All right. We're joined on the podcast today by Daryl Jennifer. Daryl, thanks for being on the show. Yeah. It's like one of the first podcasts I've ever been on. Oh, right on. <laughs> Cool. So we're talking about the Bad Brains live record that came out in 1987-88 on SST. I'm wondering if you can take me back though, Daryl. I heard Joe Carducci say one time on a different podcast actually that the Bad Brains went into SST as early as like 1982-ish, perhaps looking for spot. Do you recall that at all? Nah, well, like I'm the youngest member in the band. Mm-hmm. So in the early dealings of all that stuff, I was kind of more focused in on the music. You know, I was the I was the punk rocker up in there. So right. as far as like dealing with SST back in those days, and that was a long time ago, I just remember them being down with Black Flag and it being like a, you know, what went on to be a DIY sort of, you know, record label that was from our style of music, you know, being a teenager back then. So the answers that I'm going to give you to the questions is going to come from what I really experienced in dealing. So basically that's kind of like saying, being a teenager in a band and saying, oh, you heard Black Flag? Oh, yeah, they got this label, SST. Yeah, let's put our record on on theirs. Right. You know, it's like a teenage movement. Right. No real, like, even, not even if you're in your early 20s, like, kind of. Like the way that things were viewed back then, people, you know what I mean? And the way they are now and where you can look back on, like, here I am telling you some teenage shit about SST, basically keeping it real, 100% real with you, that it's, you know, we didn't have a manager or anything, so it's not like anyone talking to us about anything to have to do with a record deal. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that that's how the deals get mucked up, you see what I mean, in the early days of all of this. And people... And people like Gannon, and yeah, I mean, things can get because of the whole spirit of the teenage. My band's out of the garage, and we're going to put out a record era. You know what I mean? Like For a forty-five. Sure. That's early on now. Right. That's before you know, because the Bad Brains is like an old, not an old group, but we've been around a long time. You see what I mean? So what I'm answering to you is pre even getting signed or Henry going out there, or any knowing anything about. SST or or uh, what do they call it? alternative tentacles and yeah you know I mean right. it's like being in a pre DC like uh, like punk era where we didn't really have there was no discord or nothing like that you know what I'm saying the labels that I when I was a young punk kid in DC the labels I even paid any attention to or said oh shit was alternative tentacles and SST speaking of the the pre punk and it also ran concurrent with, with the start of the punk movement. But very unique to DC is go-go music. Can you explain go-go music to me? Well, that's an interesting question. Go-go music is like indigenous, like DC. Like It's a combination of, first of all, you have to peep the DC where it is. You see what I'm saying? DC is not south. DC is not really north. That's one factor that, that's a trip about D.C. and it being all black back when all this was forming, like actually called Chocolate City. So Go-Go was invented by Chuck Brown, right? And Go-Go actually means like a Go-Go dancer, like when you go to the Go-Go. Right. You know what I'm saying? And it's like James Brown 
meets having a good time on a pocket. You see, when you're talking about Go-Go, now you're talking about pocket. You see, that's why Go-Go never really have original songs, only a few, and they're kind of strange. Go-Go is about, like, almost like hip-hop, right? But with a DJ using samples, Go-Go could be like a pocket of, like, say, Grover Washington, Mr. Magic, slow down to a D.C., we not Southern, we're not Northern, individualized city culture music. See what I'm saying? It's, it's kind of unique. That's why you notice D.C. don't really have a rapper. Now you figure rap is like a big thing, you know, they, you know, you know it's, it's multicultural, everything. But the one city, every city got a rapper except for Washington, D.C. And Washington, D.C. is was known to be what they call Chocolate City. Now, of course, you got like Wale and the different various ones, but not nothing to speak of. You see right. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like the MCs that come from D.C. are good, but because we never really actually liked um, hip-hop. To be honest with you, if you had to ask me sociologically, mm-hmm. D.C. never really liked hip-hop because they don't really, you know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a city thing. So if you Baltimore, you Bama, New York, Bama, like we, I remember dudes used to um say New York dudes be spinning around on their on their backs and all that shit dancing. You see what I mean? Like viewing it like that. Like damn, I went up to New York, cats are spinning around on their heads and whatnot. Right. You, you know what I'm saying? So DC got a certain swag about them, about the black culture and the music. And I believe being growing older and looking back, it has to do with the unique geographical position of not being Southern or not being Northern because I'm from Southeast DC and I grew up hearing that people from Virginia or whatever country we call them Bama's is South and up North is Baltimore and New York and Philly. And they also are Bama's. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Right. So I believe the style go, go. And it's just stuck right there. Like, I always believed I could produce Go-Go because you had to sort of turn, you had to capture the energy of what it mean to be at the Go-Go. It was a live music. Almost like Bad Brains in a way, too. Like, there's people that would say, man, Bad Brains and all that, this and that, but it's one of them things where you had to be there. You see what I'm saying? That's another whole interview, <laughs> Go-Go. You know what I mean? Like, how DC and the uniqueness of it and styles and what DC representing in black culture. Okay. Uh, going forward a little bit, during the time after Rock for Light and between that and I Against I, you and Doc, I believe, stayed in New York City. Were you were you playing at that time? Do you remember? So what happened was, after we was doing our thing in D.C. in the early, early years, we went on and moved to New York because in the, in the teachings of PMA, right, we was all about you know, thinking go rich, Napoleon Hill, you know, we were young dudes that was into that consciousness. So in, in understanding that, we thought as teenagers and young men, hey, you know, we the bad brains in DC, we we blowing this up, you know what I mean? And that's one thing we learned. Don't if you blowing something up, move on. You don't stay there. That's how you become like a hometown hero or something like that. You know, that happens all over the country with bands and a lot of things. Right. In your town they can become so popular and it's just like you that's you. But we understood at an early age, you got to move on. So we moved on to New York to do the same thing. The whole idea is to keep growing, keep moving, keep progressing and not settling even in perceived 
success. You see what I mean? Like basically saying, oh, man, we 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 doing it now, and you just stay there and do it. Nah, you got to keep moving. So we left D.C. on that. And people, we wrote the song Band in D.C. That's what that was about. We wasn't really banned in D.C. Nobody could ever tell us we couldn't play nowhere or nothing like that. Right. Although they did, but we, we had a sort of rebel spirit in the early day. That was, if you told us not to play in your club, we probably want to play outside your club. <laughs> so it wasn't about like that Band in D.C., what people think by the title. Band in D.C. was poetic and us saying, hey, we the PMA soldiers out here and we, we're we're bouncing from D.C. now, but we love D.C., but we're bouncing to New York now. And we showed up down the Lower East Side. During that time, New York was just coming from, like, punk rock, like, was on some drugs. You know how punk rock was, like the Maxis and the Johnny Thunders and all that. Right. That's what it kind of meant in New York. But for us, coming from D.C. in the PMA and being unique who we were, our music wasn't fueled so much or not at all on any type of real punk rock shit. Our music was, our message of our music was positive mental attitude and youth uh, understanding and, and, and also understanding the concepts of what we call Babylon, right? Of the system and all that, you know, we sort of wanted to bring a thinking man's kind of like, what was punk rock was like protest and you know what punk rock you know mm -hmm. about, you know <laughs> but we never was about nothing like that you see because of the leadership of our big brother who was hr our singer you know what I'm saying he was the one that made sure that our message was one of of that that's why when you hear all our songs that's what they're about like the reason why pay to come is called pay to come that's kind of vulgar Right. But I titled that that. So that's like the youngest member of your band that's a punk saying well, we should call this song this. Right. right. But if you listen to the lyrics, it ain't got nothing to do with the title. Right. It's just that's a that's an unknown fact. What I just told. <laughs> so H.R. and Earl leave at some point to go do the H.R. band. Now, are you and Doc continuing to do music together? at that time yeah so what happened with that was right right and just keeping that a buck in a hundred like hr you know once we start to realize culturally culture you know what i mean um once we start realizing culture that's when rastafari positive message of that is who we were started to manifest itself so while that was happening because remember we're brothers all four of us not brothers by blood but we're like brothers so our brother, you know, he started feeling more of the, the dub and the reggae and the cultural sides of being an artist or being a musician. Wasn't nothing wrong with that. That's where his heart was, was pulling him, and that's why you see the um, human rights band and the music that they made. Whereas, I guess the way it was, myself personally, and Doc, I still was, I'm a very, you know, fearless, creative dude. I, you know, it's almost like saying, yeah, I, I'll do dub, fusion, rock, punk shit, wild shit. You know what I mean? I'm not just... I'm just not a one style. My style have to be versatile. Right. So that's why I didn't really. And plus, I, I, I felt early on the um, need for what Batteries represented. So I kind of wanted, you know, that's who I am. I am Batteries. It's not like a band I'm in. You see what I'm saying? So I just kept like living on who I was. Right. <laughs> Basically. Okay. So the band eventually gets back together for. Uh, this rock hotel gig 
in New York. As far as I understand it, while you're rehearsing for the show, you're basically writing the the Eye Against Eye record. Do you remember that? Like, did, it seems like the Eye Against Eye album came together very quickly after the after you got back together. Well, the way I can answer that is that <clears throat> that being the Bad Brains is like a real deal happening. You know what I mean? It, 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 it's something that was happening. Now that I look back, so like in coming up with the material and writing the material, it ha- It just happened. You see what I'm saying? Like, nothing we ever did was contrived that we sat around and said, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. We never did that. Like, even you asking me that question, I remember um, just living the life of being bad brains and, like, maybe HR and Earl were, were doing reggae or maybe someone offered us a show. We got back together to do it. Maybe at that show we said, yo, let's make an album. Maybe at that time in our lives, I was able to, or myself and Dr. No and HR, to come up with our creative music like like it ain't nothing. You know, it's like your prime type shit. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like if you're an MMA fighter or some shit, you want to learn jujitsu, you know, you're in your prime. Boom, there it is. So the same thing with a creative, uh, you know, riff makers or whatever. What I'm saying, we don't sit down and say, hey, man, all we say is, yo, we should make an album. Word, let's make it. And then... Book the studio time. You see what I'm saying? It's like the riffs and what happens, which is something I've been saying a lot in my, in my old age. What happens, some things are happening, you see what I'm saying, that I can realize and attest to as I look back. All right. So when you ask me the question about writing the riffs and, and, and the concepts and ideas for I Against I, at the same time I'm playing at Rock Hotel, I, I, I had no idea of that. Right. Maybe I should be interviewing you about what you know about me. You see what I'm saying? Right. You see what I'm saying? Because a lot of what you're asking me is, is fascinating to me, too. <laughs> and then it makes my mind reflect back. And then when, when my mind reflects back, I see a, a, a cat in his prime of being in a movement and a mission, not necessarily a band. You see what I'm saying? I always have to go back and explain that because bad brains didn't start like cats in college or something looking on the billboards says drummer wanted and all that. Right. That's not how we started. We knew each other. We grew up around each other, different age levels before bad brains. You see what I'm saying? So it's almost like, <laughs> I'll tell you where we are. We're like the dude back before hip hop that played instruments as opposed to throwing a football or running around in a bathroom. We're talking seventies brothers. I was 15 years old in 19, 19- 75. I didn't, I didn't know nothing about bad brains. <laughs> I didn't know nothing about bad brains in 1976 or 1977, but I always played instrument. It's when I got to be more, say maybe 17 or 18 that I discovered something that would, would create bad brains. And, and the same thing with my other brothers, my big brothers. So bad brains was a happening, man. It happened. You know why I believe it happened? I believe it happened during a time that maybe being a spiritual cat that we were put out there to like, um, like one time this kid told me he saw me and he said, Mr. Jennifer, I wasn't used to nobody calling me that. It was in the club. He said, I want to thank you because I used to be a racist and a Nazi and all that. But then I started listening to y'all's music, had a positive message. Now I got like kids and I love, you know what I'm saying? He wanted to thank me for that. Right. But it's not me to thank for that. And that made me realize that by me being and us being even the color of our skin, black, 
and going into what people wanted to say was white music. You dig what I'm saying? But music has no color, right? But the style of music that when I heard punk rock and I wanted to create my own brand of it or tried to interpret it in the way I was kicking it, being black, and then putting the positive message on it, it wound up to me on a grander scale, like make people more versatile. And like the kid told me, he want to thank me that he used to be an asshole or racist, and now he's not. Right. And that's a reason to be, you know, running around the country or the world playing high speed, positive energy. And it's funny, maybe someone from my own neighborhood or my own, or my own relatives being black people would hear my music and look initially they don't hear the positive message they might hear the raging guitars and the frenetic pace and all that and then they start thinking negative they start thinking negative but matter of fact some of them might go straight to like devil music and here it is it's just like a thunderstorm or something you know what i mean it's like when you get a lightning clap and the thunder is that a good thing or a bad thing you know what i'm saying for sure <laughs> Yeah, yeah, don't get me to run in my mouth. <laughs> Do you recall recording Eye Against Eye at Longview Farms with Ron St. Germain? Yeah, what I recall from it was, was something about me. You know, I was sort of like writing the riffs and stuff with my with my big brother, Doc. And as far as the music, the composition, not the lyrics or the vocal approach, but the, the riffs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the way I, the, the chemistry with us is more like, it's a good thing that, we myself and Doc, the way we play together, because I got more of an exacting thing. Like, if it was left up to me, we'd probably sound like Metallica or somebody. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, as far as my vision of how I hear my riffs, you know, so me and Doc together create what they call the bad brain sound that I feel is what's our sound. Mm -hmm. At the recordings, right, a lot of times, I just remember not going to listen back. Like, I'm, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't listen back. If I try, because I'm looking for a feeling, but I was young at this time, right? And I had no real recording experience that I, like what I have today. Meaning that when you're recording, I was the type of cat that wanted to capture, like I'm looking to capture everything through the headphones in the moment. I'm looking to capture too much for my self-satisfaction and understanding the process. And in doing, in being like that, it kept me, I was disinterested in any of the takes that people were feeling or liking or showing because I wrote this shit. Right. It's, almost, it's almost like being like finicky about something you created and not understanding what it means to have a chemistry. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's growth. So I remember, and in all my records, I never listened to any of my records because I'm, you know, chiefly responsible for the riffs and stuff, me and my big brother, Dr. No. And, when you're on the riffs like that, what you get down on tape or what you get on the recording, a lot of times it may not be nothing near, nowhere near what the fuck you intended. You see what I'm saying? Because you're, the idea is coming from you. But that's what happened. Again, being an OG, you see, the hot men. You can say what you want to say, feel how you want to feel about your music and your riff and talk all the shit you want. But this is what the fuck happened. <laughs> and, and dealing with that fact, the happening. That green bass you often played during that era, it looks like a Fender jazz bass, but I don't think it is. Is it like a, a custom-built bass? All right. Peep this. That's another example of the happening, right? The green bass is a, a great example of, of what I'd be describing as the happening. So what happened was, 
in the, see see how the story start what happened was <laughs> when in the early days of bad brains before we had instruments or anything you know we, we just like dudes running around we were you know struggling you know when i was like 19 20 21 young man so we had this manager right so we was going to go on this tour so the manager must have got a check or something you know how it go he, cats ain't really spending their money when they on it like that and you just like a a little group running around. So the manager at the time said, yeah, I'm going to, you know, buy you guys some guitars. So we went up 48th Street, went in. Now, I'm a punk rock kid. I never, I don't know shit about equipment. I never took interest in gear. I'm not a gearhead. That's why you notice I use the same bass and the same shit all the time. I'm not interested in a bunch of buttons and all that shit. So I go into the store. I don't know shit about bases or nothing. Dude said he want to buy a bass. So he said, all right, go hook up, get the bass you want. So I said, well, fuck. I'm not even going to look at the bases hanging on the wall. I'm going over to this glass case over here where they got the bass parts. Right. <laughs> all right. I'm not even, I'm going, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm on it more like that. I'm going to go over here where they got the bass parts. So during this time, Modulus Graphite had just came out. So probably 1980, probably their first run of necks. And it was a graphite neck. Mm-hmm. And um, long story short, everything that's on the base that I'm actually looking at right now, <laughs> and there's still original um, parts on it, except for one pickup is like 20 years old, the rest of it's 40. So it's like everything that the base is built was in the case, which is the electronics was, was I believe, ESP, uh, the pickups are EMG, the bridge is badass. You notice how all that stuff, if you think back during the time, that shit, when those companies were first starting to put their shit out, before you just buy a base, you don't go looking for a special bridge or all that so much or, or special custom electronics and all that. And my, what I, as, as far as I knew, but in this custom case was all the parts to this base that I'm looking at. And I had it built. The guy said he'd build it, put it together. And they gave me a loaner. And I went to England, came back, and then they gave me this base, and I've been playing it ever since. And it taught me that, which I try and tell people about instruments, people say, how oh, you get that sound, how you get that sound. But really, it's just how the bass feels and sounds in my hand. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's something to do. It's a strange thing between objects and fucking humans that actually exist. Like, and another reason why I got the graphite neck, not because of any like dynamic reasons or anything about the fucking dynamic neck. The only, I mean the neck. The only reason why I got the graphite neck is because I knew I was going to be traveling and I didn't want no base to go on the airplane or go in the van or falls or if I drop it or throw it on stage or whatever. Like, this shit just had to be like hard. So you see, the, my, my base is like an instrument, not necessarily, I'm not a, you know what I mean? That's way 40, 30 years later that I started like caring about an instrument like i never really yeah i mean i never really babied him or nothing like that the a happening you see for sure uh now on that 86 87 tour for i against i this is the tour where the live album that came out on sst is recorded do you have any idea how many shows were recorded or what shows uh, were used for this live record well being that during that time the only thing I really remember is the daily grind of going and traveling and being in bad brains. The only thing that I only remember about recording that record was 
being in Amsterdam and smoking good weed and going down there and, and it being packed. Again, I spent a lot of time like living, like Bad Brains was like a mission. You know what I'm saying? My, my adult life was spent, you know what I mean, doing that. And it's funny because I, it's been my whole adult life. And then finally, as it whittled down and slowed down and, and ended, basically, the mission, I, I was like, cool. Like, I live up in the mountains. It's snowing out there. You know what I mean? I got my studio. I do, like, smoothed out type shit, dubs, whatever. And I'm loving it. And I don't really need a lot of um, going to clubbing and all that type shit. And then when the pandemic hit, I've been sitting up in here and I'm like, fuck. Man, as soon as this pandemic loosens up, I'm hitting the clubs. <laughs> I mean, I'm hitting the um, stage, all that. Let's talk about some of these reissues that are coming out on Bad Brains Records through ORG Music. Were you working off master tapes for, for some of these? So since ORG is kind of like hands-on production of this, mm-hmm. some of it's master tape, right? Some of it's high-res uh, reproduction, right? But for me, my involvement is branding, you know, like ORG, you're interviewing the wrong guy about like what was used for what. Mm -hmm. But yes, we do have the reels, but it's almost like, (laughs) let me see how I can explain this to you, man. I'm an artist, man. You see what I'm saying? So you're asking me on the reissues, where did the, where did it come from, real or digital? Right. So I'm, because... The reason why I sound like what I'm answering is because I don't know what, you know, the um, the timeline of the product and all. I just look at it all as one thing happening. So, yeah, some of it's some digital high-res, digital and that, and some of it actually is from real. Like, I believe the Rock for Light one is real, will be real, for off the real. Right. You know? And Rock for Light was actually remixed, I believe. Nah. Uh, well, it was remixed. Years ago, by me and Rock o- uh, Rick O'Casey. Right. How about that? Rock O'Casey. That should have been his name. <laughs> That's my uncle. Yeah. <laughs> Rock Rock O'Casey. It's funny. After all those years, I never really hit him in the head with that one. <laughs> yeah, I I guess I mean the new version is going back to the original mix of Rock for Light. Yeah, yeah. But what I want people to be able to feel is that the original shit first and then if there's anything that yeah i mean like remixes is something that you don't like i'm not a big fan of of classic shit because i wouldn't want to hear like i don't mind remastering and i'm not even mad at a remix but you got to be careful with that with like to me really it's like you know with with classic like shit like you want to hear a remix of like hendrix or some shit (laughs) you may want to but you probably have already. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know if there's more stuff that's going to be coming out other than what's already been announced, like, say, Black Dots or uh, some of the other major label era stuff? Yeah, right now, everything's going to probably get its chance to come out, except for I'm not sure what's going on with the Maverick record or even the Rise record. Mm-hmm. But um, I get sigh, and there's a lot of... Uh, there's a you know, newer projects of outtakes and stuff, like versions of stuff that I'm going to be the coolest stuff. Like, I'm just getting the stuff transferred really digitally, so I got to kind of flip through a lot of the stuff. Personally, production-wise, there's a producer with the music right. um, to see what, you know, what, what we can serve. 
or give to the people and the fans. It's going, it's going to be cool. Everything. The, the whole goal is to have everything re-released, retouched, and then you know remixed, definitely remastered, or not at all. You know what I mean? It's all about what shit is and how it's feeling and how and how it's how it's living as a piece of work or art or music would dictate what, in my opinion, as an artist, what get remixed or. You know, but that's just my opinion. There's other people, you know, there's other big, big brothers and stuff. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you're you've been working in the studio. Are we going to see perhaps a follow up to In Search of Black Judas? Yeah, I've been working on that, and I'm real excited about it. It's like I'm real psyched about it, to be honest with you, because I've been working on it during the pandemic, and I've been working on it just a little bit before that. And I got some really cool musicians that I'm kicking it with, like, you know, John Modeski, Jamie Saft. I work with Lenny White on this record. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, um, you know, Chogi. And it's like a throwback fusion. Like, I've been calling it my yacht rock, like, dub. You know, sort of like Judas, but not as electronic. Mm-hmm. Or as a matter of fact, not electronic at all. Like, a big emphasis on the recordings and songs and compositions I've been coming up with. It's all organic players, and I'm really feeling, I'm really excited about it, actually. I need to get it out. It's almost like I just, it's almost like I'm in a space capsule or some shit, and, you know, I got a new album that I listen to. Right. <laughs> Nobody heard this shit. <laughs> what about the bad yeah. brains? How How's Doc doing? How's his health? Doc is cool, man, you know, sort of like retired, you know, chilling. Me and him are going to work on some things. I sent him a track, play some nylon string on Mm-hmm. Um, the other day, talked to him last night or the night before, and uh, it's just OG era for us. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? It's OG era. It's not like as a as a musician, you can't really say you retire, you know, or as a um, a guy that's lived this life, you right. know, music and the arts. You don't retire. You just live and then you're done. But there could come a time where you just kick back, maybe, you know what I mean? It's not like a bunch like tours are waiting on or traveling or none of that shit. It's the OG era. You know, like me, I paint, I uh, write my smoothed out riffs, you know, you know, I corral bad brains, business and assets and stuff and branding. Mm-hmm. And I walk back and forth from my studio to my house. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Just like I guess. <laughs> But Doc is chill, man. HR, he's down in Philly. I don't really talk to him that much. You know what I mean? That's my big brother. Always love him. So, you know, mm-hmm. we all come up on the, you know, on the PMA. And my other big brother, Earl, EH, I talk to him sometimes. He's chilling down in Atlanta doing, you know, what he, do, what he does. Mm-hmm. And yeah, man, the brotherhood of bad brains. That's why when people say we broke up and got back together, it didn't really go down like that. Because of the the thing I've been describing is the happening. Like each one of us know what bad brains means to us and what our brotherhood means to us. You see what I'm saying? And it's not like a gang or clique or none of that shit. It's just like an old, old school, I guess you would say click. Right. You see what I'm saying? Back in the seventies, like we were together talking about, we're going to play music and listen to these records before rap or any of this shit, punk rock, any of this. You see what I'm saying? We as grew into it, say, oh, look at this punk rock. Watch this. Bang. You make our, oh, look at this jazz or whatever, this wild shit. Watch this. Bang. You see what I'm saying? So it's the brothers that's in the late and mid-70s 
way of being like DJs and MCs of what people may know today. Like the first time I heard rap was that I thought is actually somebody broke into the radio station was, and was doing that talking <laughs> on the music. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, I was around and I was making music during this time. Like, so it was almost like being an MC or, or a rapper, you know, like I was telling, I was talking to doc. I was like, doc, I'm telling you kid, because you know, a couple of our sons do music and his son's son makes beats, mm-hmm. but his son is about 30. And I was, and I learned from my guitar player. He's young, like nineteen. He's Richie Havens' grandson. Okay. About like the current state of pop or hip hop and all, like who the art artists, like who I even me would think was a newer hip hop artist, and I usually keep up with this shit is like old. Right. You see, what I'm saying like a, 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 like even Migos, like some shit that was like just last two summers or something. That <laughs> shit is old. <laughs> and the, it's like dudes like whatever trying to share me some shit about SoundCloud and this and that and these rappers and these kids with these tattoos on their faces and this mute and it's this whole new like her- uh, landscape of this. It's, it sucks, man, because I remember when that first happened in about 82 or about 83 when they when digital, I believe digital ruined a lot in music and arts. Right. But that's another conversation, too. But I remember, like, even if you think back, when Steel Pulse, they had a sticker on their record that said this record digitally recorded and all that. And like, what digital meant started mm-hmm. to come in. And the, mm-hmm. and the sound of even in reggae was starting to, that's where you get all that dance hall and all, thunk, 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 and all that shit. Right. I remember when all that first started happening. And I was about 23. And I'm like, man, what's going on with music? And it lost a I lot of that Roots what, vibe, hey? Yeah, and it lost growth. Like, you see, music would keep growing and growing, and then once the digital comment came in, it, 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 it stunted it a little bit to where it's like another, like, artificial intelligent level of being good. Mm-hmm. Like, almost like Kanye, to me, is a guy that can show that. Whereas Kanye probably would have, like, three or four cats tapping on samplers or doing whatever they're doing on computers because of their knowledge of the software. So he's the artist that also taps, but came up tapping on, say, maybe, a, 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 damn, I can't believe that slipped my mind, the, the, the sampler, yeah. the old old school, the old school sampler. Like right? an 808 or something. <laughs> yeah, right, you come up, he's that. But now there's kid in college, the kid that's like 19, yo, did you hear the way he uses software or this mm-hmm. FL Studio or this and that? And, you see what I mean? And then he starts to create, like, a, it creates another whole level of creativity. How good a, how good of an artist are you with a computer? Yeah. That's what I know. And it can, that can have its effect on the talent pool. Because you, you may not be that creative, but you're great at fucking with this computer. Right. So, like, my, like my nephew played me something, and then he, he had a little, little side thing with it that said that he quantized the piano. So I said quantizing the piano is not a bad thing, right? In pop music, you know, so it's like the difference between performing something or keep get, trying to get out of take or a performance or a feeling or perform something and just get that feeling, then let the computer make sure it sounds like you know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I do that with my bongo tracks a lot. Like, which is cheating in a way. 
because I can play creative bongos, but it's not like I'm Tito Puente or something. You know what I mean? Right. So, but if I push the right button, and it's a trip, I push the right button, then my ideas, the computer's helping me nudge around stuff so that it's not, so that it sounds like I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And the crazy part about that, if I listen to that long enough, and maybe six or eight months, I start thinking that I did that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I believe, start believing that I'm that. You see? <laughs> so the computer... Shit is a trip, kid. That's why my new album and the new shit that I'm putting out is all playing and all takes, no edits and all that shit. No, like, nothing. I'm, I'm down to, like, make your music on good mics, um, analog, no no digital where I can, except for, you know, if I have to get in the Pro Tools. Right. You know, for, for things that, you know what I mean? If you try to run straight analog, like everything, you know, you got to have the tool, you, you know. So I use Pro Tools. I use a computer for some things, but I try to make the whole front end of the production all as analog as possible in real players. Speaking of the, you know, the brotherhood that you talk about, you lost someone last year, Sid McRae. Yeah, right? Yeah. Brother Sid, who I always, who's funny, because that's like one of my, I was my, my dude, you see what I'm saying? And it's like, about that, I learned that like I never felt sad about where Sid is or what what's in the afterlife of being gone. Mm-hmm. I think of him fondly, like he got something on me. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? <laughs> so that's the beauty of that that I learned. Like you would think people think when someone dies, they're like mourning them when they think of them. Oh man, my homie. Uh, but I don't think like that. That and it makes me realize that our time together and it it was all, it's still that way. He just went on ahead of me somewhere. And I know he's having a good time. And I know he's doing everything that he his spirit was. You know what I'm saying? So oftentimes I think of my brother Sid, I mean, all the time, with a smile on my face. And like I got to catch up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Better that than like with your head down, right? <laughs> <laughs> Daryl, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. And like I said, I've never been on a podcast and I avoid podcasts. Okay. You see what I'm saying? I mean, I avoid this type of interview. I No, not this type of interview. I avoid interviews. You know what I mean? Because as you can see, I got a lot to say and I'm, I keep it 100. So in, in today's computer age, and you know, you got to be careful when you're that type of cat yeah. like me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So you got it. I've never been on nothing like this. People ask me all the time, a podcast. I do interviews, but I don't know nothing about a podcast, really. Well, I appreciate you doing it. I really do. Yeah, man. Yeah. All right, brother. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Daryl, for being on the show. Uh, Great that you could share your time with us and go through some of the history for sure. Um, And again, love the green base spiel. Thank you for asking that question, (laughs) Brent. You, yep. I love I love that that base is a parts base, but it was a parts base made out of the most expensive 80s gear that you could buy at the time. I love that. Also, uh, you mentioned it really quick, too, but Daryl's solo record, right? Black Judas, 2010 on Roar. Um, people should check that out because that's a cool dub reggae record for sure. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Daryl, for being on the show. Thanks to Chris SD from XO Publicity and Andrew at ORG for helping hook that up. As you can hear, Daryl doesn't do a ton of press at all, and he's 
says he's never done a podcast before. So it was a bit of a chore to to get that interview happening. So I couldn't have done it without those two two dudes helping make it happen. Yeah, for sure. A few things that he said that, you know, uh, were interesting. He's made a few comments like when he was talking about the Bad Brains. I didn't, I don't think I directly asked him what the future of the band was, but I I also maybe didn't need to because he, he made a few comments like, you know, I think he said, the mission has ended. Mm. I just got the impression, you know, and plus he says something about Doc, Dr. No being retired. So, I, yeah, I have a feeling we probably won't see another Bad Brains record. Possibly some SST era reissues, though, which was very interesting to hear. Yeah, no doubt. Of course, the outtake stuff, I would kill for some unreleased or live stuff or some demos with Israel Josephi and some of the other vocalists, if they exist. Agreed. Yeah. Sounds like that new record's going to be interesting that he's working on with John Medeski, Lenny White. He, I think he calls it Yacht Rock Dub. Yeah. I love that Daryl's like not so much into the digital. Yeah. And uh, sounds like that that uh, that record's going to sound inorganic. Can't wait. Yeah. Ryan, I've been waiting 160 episodes to talk about these tunes. Let's do it. History Lesson, Part 2. So, Brant, let me hit you with a quick Spaceman intro to this record, okay? Yes. So, so this is this is what the Spaceman said about this Bad Brains live record in the SST catalog. It says, the document, period. One day this will be found in classes as a tool of instruction in the power of music, period. It's time to enroll, exclamation point. Culled from five nights on the 1987 Return to Heaven tour, live features House of Suffering, Sacred Love, The Regulator, FVK, and nine others. CD includes Day Tripper bonus track, available on LP and cassette for $7.50 and CD for $13. Hmm. Okay, so I did not read that spiel. So, five nights, hey? I've been... I was just doing some super sleuthing to try and figure out where this was recorded. Well, you told me to find it out, so I found it out as best I could, man. What did you find? And You tell me what you found, and then I'll tell you about my super sleuthing. Well, I guarantee your super sleuthing is better than mine. I, I <laughs> try, So I tried to find... Um, I tried to find a tour log. Uh, I couldn't. I tried to find some specific dates. I could find some discussion, just noting that this is over several dates on the tour. The closest thing I could find was this by the spaceman saying it's over five dates. I couldn't even confirm whether one of the five dates is that same uh, college TV show. I mean, I don't think so. I would recognize the track, I think, I hope. But... Um, I couldn't find out anything more than that. You probably have beat me for sure. Hit it. Well, here's what I here's my theory. Dig. So uh, we have every eye against eye track on this release, except for Hired Gun, Let Me Help, and Return to Heaven. Let Me Re Help and Return to Heaven are both on SST 228, the Spirit Electricity 10 inch. 
Mm -hmm. And also on there is this same version of Day Tripper that's Day on Tripper. the CD yep. of this. Yep. So if you look if you look at the Youth Are Getting Restless album, which was recorded at the Paradiso in Amsterdam in 87, it's almost the exact track listing of this live record. And if you combine Spirit Electricity and this record, it, it's one show together. If you're comparing it to The Youth Are Getting Restless. Spirit Electricity says on the 10-inch uh, that it was recorded in Providence, Rhode Island, and in Los Angeles, California. That's what it says. Mm. On the Return to Heaven tour in 86-87, they played at the Living Room in Providence on October 24th, 1986, and again at the same venue on January 16th, 87, so just a few months later, uh, with Verbal Assault. In L.A., they played at Fender's Ball Ballroom two nights with C.O.C., Crumbsuckers, Adolescents, and Instead. And they also played I found, at the... I found that one, yep. I found yep. that one. They also played at the Roxy in Hollywood on November 23rd, 1986 with Gone and Faith No More, which I hmm. thought was really interesting considering Chuck Mosley was probably still in Faith, Faith No More at that time, who would go on to be in Bad Brains for a while. And that night is for sure the night the cover photo was taken at the Roxy in Hollywood. By Naomi Peterson. By Naomi Peterson, yes. Now, there's a review on All Music that I found by Jack Rabbit. I read and, that, yep. Yeah, he suggests that, well, here's what he says. He calls, the, he, first he calls them the greatest live rock and roll band of all time. And he also says... Although it doesn't say where it was recorded, it sounds like the Ritz. I, I read that too, and I'm like, how the hell can you tell by the sound of the tape where it was recorded? Yeah, I don't know, but that uh, they seemed did. like a bit of a lead. Like that, that didn't seem mention worthy to me. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't. I had the same thought. How does how does he know that? But uh, they did play at the Ritz with Gangrene and Flipper, so possibly that's one of the dates as well. Yes. We'll probably never know, which is going to drive me insane. <laughs> <laughs> but life will go on. That's right, man. The important thing, Ryan, is this record kicks total ass, so it doesn't really doesn't really matter. Oh, so it's so good. Yeah. Oh, and I'm gonna say, just throw this out there, Ryan. This was released in 1988, so we're starting to see more and more 88 releases creep in. The majority of what we're still covering uh, is 1987 still, but you, we'll see the odd 88 release come in. Yeah. The other reason I like this record, though, too, is we we get some uh, tracks off their pre-SST albums on the show here to talk about. I love that. Yeah, let's go through the tracks. Right on. So the first track is I. That's off originally off the self-titled Roar cassette from 1982. That's a insane opener. It just explodes. Uh, for me, the thing that stuck out almost more than anything was Earl and the drums. He's just like got this super sweet pocket that rocks and swings. And it's just got the right spot on the beat for me. Love it. Yeah. Also re-recorded in 83 for Rock for Light, this one. Yep total aggression like doc just peeling off licks hr belting it out like 
you know, like his life depends on it. Like that part where he's going, I guess it's too bad, I guess it's too bad. And the ending with his vocals are just, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Awesome. All right, man, track two, At the Movies, opens with some insane feedback. This is off the Rock for Light album from 1983. And uh, you can start to really hear for me the growl of Daryl's bass on this track. And some serious Dr. No shredding again, too, of course. Yeah. Uh, although it this track actually dates back to 79, you can hear it on in an earlier version on the Omega Sessions. Yeah. Uh, which is the band's first multi-track studio recordings, which is being reissued by, by Bad Brains Records and ORG. So pick that up if you don't have it. It's awesome. Yeah, that originally came out on Victory, too, way back when. Yeah. yeah. This one stands out from that footage you were talking about in Florida. This this is the one that, where he does the backflip at the end. And they stop <laughs> on a dime. Just wow, hey? Yeah. All right, track three. There's no stopping now. It's the regulator off the self-titled Roar cassette as well. Starts with some sweet Daryl bass. Some mid-tempo chugging there. Um, also ends with a cool sped up section. I've always liked that about this track. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another one dating back to the band's earliest days. You can hear a super early version of it on black dots, which is that session they did in 79 with Don Z and Tara. It's short. It's a short song, only a minute long. Yeah. So yeah. And then also uh track four, right brigade also off of that self-titled roar cassette. And uh, here again, like, I, you know, it's funny when you listen to the studio recordings, it's almost like Dr. No shreds twice as much and twice as excellently live, hey? And to play that shit live is insane. Oh, well, it sounds like two guitar players, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, this is a good one. It's also on Rock for Light, re-recorded for Rock for Light. It's great. It's a great tune. Yeah, and now we get to our first track off of Eye Against Eye, the so that song itself, Eye Against Eye. Great gang vocals on this track in the midsection. And it's a I never realized it until listening to this. It's it's kind of a weird song. Like it has the beginning and end are the same, and then it's got a middle section of the song that's kind of two different parts. Um, it's a really weirdly structured song, but it works so good. Yeah. When you hear the intro to this come in, you're just like, that's the bad brains. The, the just crazy tight, like, that part. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, the breakdown where with Daryl and Earl doing those kind of pulses. Ding, ding, yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, yeah. actually, there's a very early version of this on the Omega Sessions too from 79. Uh, pretty amazing that they didn't re-record, like record this earlier for the RAR tape or for Rock for Light. They yeah. held save, it back till... Yeah, against die. Yeah. That must have been a conscious de decision because it's, it's such a killer track. Yeah, well, maybe it wasn't fully baked in their mind. I don't know. Um, definitely... Pun, in pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then the next track is I and I Survive, the uh, the great reggae track from Rock for Light. 
again great backing vocals on this great dub bass lines just killer classic bad brains i yeah i love it when the bad bad brains play reggae uh, and this is one of my favorites of theirs next to probably the prophet's eye from quickness uh the studio versions on rock for light uh it's really great for kind of breaking up you know the more rocking tracks too yeah yeah it would have been uh you know like the bad brains almost had to play a track like this at some point during their set or else it would just almost be too intense yeah for too long yeah <laughs> i don't know all right then we get to uh the next track house of suffering also from eye against eye this is a scorcher for me and the earl and daryl in particular on this one they're so locked in on this track it's just awesome oh, yeah it's crazy how tight they were it's really yeah. impressive <laughs> yeah Th those shots live yeah dialed in man yep so if you're listening to the LP now, we flip it over and we go to one of my favorite tracks from Eye Against Eye, Reignition. Um, they actually made a video for this, so people should check that out too. Mm -hmm. um, eight, this is the only song HR announces it too before it kicks off. Yeah. More fret melting from Dr. No. And the first couple of bars, first couple of bars are a little loose, I, I would say. And then they lock in after, you know, kind of on the third or fourth bar and, and they're back at it. Yeah. Uh, this was our ballot result pick, Ryan, for uh, episode 65, by the way. Love Doc's harmonics and his extensive oh, yeah. whammy bar action. <laughs> he really is underrated as a guitarist, like from a mainstream standpoint. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't get the recognition for sure. I mean, I'm sure he's probably on, you know, top 100 lists, but he should really be high up on those lists. And yeah. he's probably not, which is too bad. Well, I just think when you're talking about really technically gifted guitar players, like whoever you want to mention, Joe Satriani or those kinds of people, you can throw Dr. No yeah. into, into the mix. So who, el who else playing punk rock or punk rock like in the punk rock scene in the mid to late 80s who else like could shred like dr no is there anyone that comes to rock, mind rocky george from suicidal yeah. yeah yeah you're probably right you're more of a suicidal guy than me but i know what you're yeah. saying yeah very similar actually they're playing what really remind reminds me of of each other Probably, probably a lot of those crossover bands too, hey? There are oh, yeah. some shreds like, coming up now. For sure. Like Spike Cassidy, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just awesome, though. All right, then we get to Sacred Love from Against Eye. And this is um, an interesting non-telephone call from jail vocals version. Um, yeah. That's a pretty famous story, how HR recorded the vocals um, from the payphone in jail on the actual studio album. And uh, it's great to hear um, HR's vocals a little bit more up front, for sure. Yeah, for me, it's an all-time classic song. Uh, I've always loved this track, but this version of it, I have to be honest, it, it's maybe just one of those tracks that doesn't 
compute live? For me, well, if you're saying you prefer the 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 like the studio version, the studio jail version, I agree with you. Well, I do, but I'm saying it's not a maybe not great. Period. Live? Yeah. Or at all? Live. This version mm. of it, anyways. I smell another puppet gate coming on. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next track. She's calling you from Eye Against Eye. Not one of my favorite tracks from Eye Against Eye, but it's still a great track and uh, it fits in the set. Great cut. Yeah. Earl and Daryl are like one of the greatest rhythm sections ever. And this song's a great example of that. Yeah. Like the the way they play together on the That live footage from Florida, if you watch Earl's drumming, that dude is laid back behind the kit. Yeah. Like he's he's laid back. He's not one of those like arms flailing, smashing bash type guy, right? And just laid back in the pocket, man. He owns the pocket. He's got the PMA. Well, he owns the pocket for every speed and tempo and style on this record live. You know, like it's just on. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, we get to Coptic Times. This is an, the opener from Rock for Light. Another classic. Yeah, HR sounds pretty interesting on this. I wasn't even sure if it was him a few times. Like maybe he was holding out his mic to the crowd or something. I mean, he can do a lot with his voice, but this one almost sounds like some HR voices we haven't heard before. And we get a little yeah. drum solo from Earl, too. Yeah, which is cool. Yep. Um, also from Rock for Light, the next one, FVK, which stands for Fearless Vampire Killers, which is fast, man. This is the fastest yeah. track, and they yep. kill it. Yeah, Love it's it. quick, too. It's just one minute. Uh, next is then... Secret 77 from Eye Against Eye. Cool, clean guitar intro with some sweet melodic bass. And then they're on again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, weird that they didn't put Hired Gun on this. That If you remember, that was kind of the single. Like they did a video, like a real treated video for it and everything. Yeah, if it had like a storyline. Yep. Well, I don't know, you know, maybe live, they just didn't get a, a good take live. Maybe. Stuff can, hap- stuff can happen, right? Like people can run up there and knock a jack out or bump a mic or maybe every time they did that song, HR got too, uh, too pumped and was in the crowd. I don't know. Maybe. Okay, and then the CD, is it CD and cassette bonus track, Day Tripper? I, I didn't check whether it's cassette. It wouldn't surprise me if it was on the cassette. It's definitely on the CD, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally by the Beatles. You probably know the record it's off of, hey? What what record was that off of? I don't know, actually. This song has got um, some lines from the Rolling Stones song, She's a Rainbow, in it as well, that they sing over the Day Tripper song. Yep. yep. I like the dub effects on this. Give it a great vibe. Me too. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Do you like, like a lot of the stuff that I read suggested that The Youth Are Getting Restless is the better live album. I like them both. I don't really think one is better than the other. Like, But do you have a favorite? No, I listen to them both, and I, I don't prefer one over the other. 
Yeah. I have some bootlegs of the Quickness tour that I really like, though. That's my favorite era of the band. Yeah. All right. You want to talk about this uh, artwork, album cover artwork? Pretty bare bones, but classic and awesome. Yeah. So check this out, Ryan. Uh, Obviously, the cover was shot by Naomi Peterson. Uh, and as her brother Chris confirmed for us at the Roxy in Hollywood on November 23rd, 1986. And he was kind enough to send us a live shot from this show, which we'll be putting up on our Instagram. Nice. An outtake. And HR shirt in it, uh, if it isn't obvious, was colorized afterwards. It does not look like that in the picture he sent. No. It's always struck me as like definitely some Rasta colors that type of vibe is going on here. It's a great image though. It is a very Rasta image too. Like the, the vocalist reaching out like that. Um, and it's just uh, classic HR. Love it. I I wish there was more HR in between songs. Well, you know, he was talking, preaching jaw message. Don't you think? Yeah. It'd be cool. Yeah. Well, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to getting into that Ross Michael record and some more solo HR too, right? Yeah. Those are all decent. Yeah, man. The back cover is like a, I don't know, a drawing of his hand from the front cover. Yeah. It looks like it is kind of one of those overdrawn things. That's only on the back of the LP too, not on the back of the CD. It's on the, I think it's on the inside of the CD jacket. Doesn't say who drew it. I always love how HR gets credited credited as throat. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's like those guys who say, hey, I'm not a singer, I'm a vocalist. Yep. Produced and mixed by Phil Burnett. Mixed at Sigma NYC and El Dorado. Mastered by... Mr. Golden at K-Disc. Who else? Yeah. JG. It's a great sounding record, it is. Like, yeah. and it does not sound like different shows. It's, it was mastered very well to make it all mixed and mastered to sound like one show. It's done well. Yeah, man. Ballot result? You betcha. Ballot result. Just real quickly, Ryan, uh, there is no dead wax, by the way. Indeed. I confirmed myself. Too bad. Mm-hmm. Missed opportunity. Yep. I hope they still have some as we get deeper into the catalog, though. Yeah. So let's see. There's 14 tracks on the CD. I could go with almost all 14, but let's. Should we get rid of at least reignition? Yeah, we can't. We can't put. Well, we could put a live version, but I don't want to. I can tell you what my picks are. Do it. I, at the movies, I against I, I and I survive, and House of Suffering. Mm, solid. Mm-hmm. I could go with all those two. Dang, you pick though. I'm pretty sure that I picked Reignition for the I Against I record, so you got to do this one. Let's do, uh, should we just do I, the opening track? Yeah, man. Yeah. It's it's just too explosive to deny. Yeah. I love the, re- the whole record, though. It's great. Yeah, me too. Yeah, what about the reissues, Ryan? Like, what do you think about of those uh, punk, punk notes? Note? Yeah. Yeah. Some of them are already sold out. Like the Rock for Light one, I think I saw is already sold out. Yeah, I know. I have a hard time 
rebuying records unless there's got to be something going on there, you know? Yeah. Um, and I've already got these. I have quickness on cassette, CD, and LP, but I'm going to buy it. It's a top 10 all-time record for me. Yeah. So I'm going so to rebuy that one just because. Yeah. It'd be great if they did, like, a double LP version of quickness with all those, like, demos and stuff. Yeah. That'd be so killer. I'd be all over that. But if it's like, if it's just another version of Rock for Light and there's no remix or no master, then, you know, I've already got it. Yeah. And uh, let's let some new people get hip yeah, man. to it, right? Woo. What else do we have for Bad Brains? Just Spirit Electricity? On this uh, podcast, yeah, that's it. And then we got some HR on Ross Michael. Right. Yeah. Ryan, I want to thank Daryl Jennifer for being on the show. Super awesome having him on. Yeah, what a cool dude. So generous. Thanks again. Yeah. Ryan, what's next week? Next week, Brant, it's SST-161, the St. Vitus record, Mournful Cries. And I've been, I've been prepping for it <laughs> um, all I... week by listening to some obsessed in spirit caravans. So I can't wait. Nice. Well, you know how I feel about St. Vitus, so obviously I'm I'm pumped. Yeah, man. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at MoJackPod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is MoJackPod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.